Podcasts are an independent way for podcasters like me to bring a local voice to your ears. At the Spent the Rent Podcast, we strive to raise awareness of topics that affect the often underrepresented. Our title sponsor, Oregon Cashflow Pro, offers free money management advice that can help you take control of your finances. At OregonCashflowPro.com, you will find videos to guide you towards your goal of financial freedom. For more info, there will be a link in the show notes. The following podcast is available on all major streaming sites, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. You can now listen to all previous episodes, donate to the podcast, and buy shirts directly from the Spent the Rent podcast at our newly designed official website, strpod.com. Spent the Rent Podcast. I am your host, Patty Rose. My guest today for the third time, I believe, is Alan Zundell from the podcast, Alan on Politics. Alan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Patrick. It's good to uh, talk to you again. So this is a little bit of a joint episode. We are going to be broadcasting this episode on my podcast, the Spent the Rent Podcast, and also your uh, podcast, Alan on Politics, which is cool. Uh, I've been a big fan of, of you for a long time. I started following your work, just really Facebook with star voting uh, <laughs> quite a while ago. And I have fans on Facebook. Yeah, oh, yeah no, but I was watching the stuff through the work you were doing with star voting uh, and the interactions you would have with Sarah Wolf. And I became a fan and I've had you on a couple times. We talked about uh, at the time you were doing social advance and Oregon news and views on YouTube. And then you came back on and talked about uh, your book that was really cool about the history of the Green Party in the United States. And I didn't leave the link in the show notes for this one because we were going to only briefly, I was only going to briefly bring it up, but it is available on Amazon, <laughs> the history of, of the Green Party in the United States. And it's a great read. And so you can go on Amazon and search for Alan Zundell and you can find that book. Uh, and get collectibles, coffee mugs, and right? T-shirts. No, it's no. really it's really interesting, and I think a lot of people don't know. I mean, if you're int- if if you're listening to this, you can go back and listen to the episode we did where we focused specifically on that book. But for anyone listening, that was it. It was really cool because a lot of people don't know about the Green Party. A lot of people mm-hmm. just assume that it's uh, kind of a liberal group, and that's not it. There's way yeah. it's way more complex than that. What so. I encounter is people often think it's just about environmentalism, right? And it's so much more, you know. And we had talked. One of the things that I love that I've I've I use now all the time, and I talk about it at work as a barber comes up in conversation, is how you had said that you kind of believe that uh, there's a such thing as a socialist libertarian. <laughs> well, I don't just believe it. I've encountered a few, and I. I usually use that label for myself. Yeah. Use the label. I've kind of started using the same thing because it really does. For me, it rings true. You know, I, uh, I, I, I want a limited government, but I want it to be super effective. You know, it's so. a real common term in, in Europe. Uh, and it's usually the term they would use instead of anarchist socialist, which just like socialist anarchist has a kind of bad flavor in the United States. Cause people usually think of it as people who just want to sow chaos and, um, you know, with no purpose in mind, but really what it has to do is uh, being suspicious of government power. Right. And right now, I mean, there's a lot of, 
wild stuff going on that kind of tests our our trust of government, you know. So we'll our get faith into, in humanity. Yeah, I mean, I think the big thing I was just reading about it uh, before we we got on this call, uh, you know, about the vaccine mandate for any the federal mandate for any uh, uh, employer with over a hundred employees. And I'm not sure how I feel about it. You know, I'm I'm definitely very pro-vaccine, but I don't... It doesn't even really matter how I feel about it. I know that it's going to cause a lot of, of, mm-hmm. a lot of uh, anger. <laughs> and well, so... This is one of my more general views on, on, on government is that the more you try to force people to do things, they might... It might not work. It's not the best way to encourage people to change their behavior. Yeah. I was thinking of this in the context of the abortion issue and the change in the law in Texas, how they just rely on punitive measures to try to decrease the number of abortions. And, you know, I lived through an era where they had laws in place and that wasn't decreasing abortions. It was just stigmatizing women who got abortions and they still found ways to get them, most of them to their, uh, you know, to the risk of their own health. Yeah. You know, with this whole thing, uh, I don't know if I'm supposed to talk about this publicly, but I'm going to, because that's what I do. But oh, but uh, but uh, I had a long conversation because I made kind of a snarky comment on social media. Uh, I just said that the GOP's human rights policy begins at conception and ends at birth. <laughs> and I immediately deleted it because I knew it was going to cause an uproar with a specific family member. And she uh, saw she saw it before I deleted it. So I was uh, like, it was minutes later. And her and I actually ended up having a really good conversation for about two days. For, literally, it was a, an exchange every couple hours for two days, and she's my cousin. And ultimately, she had told me, and this is the part I'm not sure if I'm supposed to share, but my grandmother's mother had died from a, a botched, back, in her words, back alley abortion. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, that's exactly why it needs to have you know, a reality conversation going on when you make this. Yeah, legal- those things were hushed up in the old days, but they were happening. Yeah. So it's not uh, like we lived through an era with no abortions when it was illegal. They were happening. They used to call it back alley abortions, but it simply meant trying to keep it out of the public view. So you wouldn't, you know, have doctors being arrested. Well, I know in those days, I mean, back in the day when a woman got pregnant, she dropped out of high school. You know, that was basically how that went. You just, oh, where's, uh, where's so-and-so? She just, she's gone. She must have moved, you know. But well, I found out from doing a ancestry research that both of my grandmothers i didn't know this both of them were pregnant before they got married yeah so it's kind of a, a family those, tradition those I heathens I failed to uphold it but yeah not so, for want to try <laughs> so we came here for a point we were going to talk a little bit about your podcast and this is kind of a new venture for you this format uh alan on politics it's on all the streaming sites spotify uh, apple podcasts but the primary host is anchor fm which is what I use as well. Anchor FM is a great tool for podcasters. And thank you for that recommendation. Yeah, that's one thing I bring brings me a lot of joy is helping local people kind of get off the ground. Uh, I'm, just, I'm really glad I'm doing a podcast and not just a video, which I may have done if you didn't had if you hadn't helped me out with getting the podcast going. But I find that I really like listening to my podcast but i don't like watching myself right in the video <laughs> yeah and i actually listened a little bit today to some of your podcasts and what i love about podcasts is i love listening when i'm driving and so you, uh-huh. you definitely don't want to be watching videos when you're driving but there's a time and a no. place you know there's certain 
formats. I, I, I broadcast the podcast on both audio and video on YouTube and Facebook. Mm-hmm. Some of them I don't put on Facebook. But I'm trying to get away from Facebook, but they're always on YouTube if I make video. And then the audio is obviously available everywhere. But I, I think that a podcast is designed to be listened to. And it also mm-hmm. gives you kind of more of a chance to edit on the fly where you can do little if you're because yeah, your yeah. format, a lot of it so far has been just kind of you talking. And then I think the goal <laughs> is to bring on interviews and then, you know, answer questions. But that would still look like probably you talking. And I think that's a cool <laughs> format because because you can kind of do little bits at a time, you know, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I did my episode. One thing about hosting your own show that's cool is that you can do anything you want. And my, I did yeah. an episode where I played my new album recently. And uh, I just basically did little one-minute snippets and then added the track was, in there. I was listening to Joe's today, actually, to the samples from your music. Yeah. To, to get a better sense of what kind of music you make. It's questionable what it is. I don't know. It's I have my <laughs> own style. It's good. No, thank like you. It. Yeah, I'm it's unique. It. It's unique. I bring a lot of styles together. I mean, particularly what I wanted, it, I have to go back and listen more carefully to the lyrics because they, they sounded interesting, but I wasn't always catching them. Yeah, it's a little fast too. And and, and the way that I do stuff is odd. I'll it's work. a little fast and I'm a little slow. Sure. Your words. So let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about your podcast and what, uh, what kind of stuff do you cover specifically? I know the first... You, I, the first I didn't episode. know how to title it because politics, when I say politics, that usually means to people you're you're dealing with this passing show, the day-to-day stuff, the arguments between politicians and the fights in Congress. But I wanted to go a little deeper than that. And I thought today or yesterday I came up with the idea of saying this is deep politics, where I try to go into what exactly do we mean by certain words like democracy or property or freedom. And how did these things come to be? You know, what led up to the point that we're at now? How could they be different? So trying to give a, a big picture as well as talk as specific things that you could do if you're interested in politics, um, just a different approach to it. And really what it was born out of is being isolated during this pandemic. Sure. <laughs> I want to do something, and I felt like I needed to have conversations. So this is one way to try to reach out to more people and get people to talk to me. Please, people, talk to me. So now <laughs> Oregon News and Views is that no longer happening? Is this all transitioning? No, that stopped last year um, for a number of reasons, one of which was that uh, there were three of us working on that. We had two of us on camera, me and Charles Dunaway, and we had Randy Prince who would come over and you know do a lot of the camera work for us and help behind the scenes. Um, and once the COVID kicked up, we're all at the age where we had to be especially careful so we weren't getting together anymore. And when we stopped getting together, it stopped being fun. We were trying to do it remotely with all of us in different locations, but it just wasn't the same. Yeah. You know, collaboration can really get you fired up. Oh, yeah. But do, yeah. Being in isolation, actually, I found it pretty difficult. I still find it difficult to video myself talking with nobody there. Yeah, uh, I do, too. I, I have a hard time, too. It just feels so weird, you know, that you're not performing for anyone. You know? Yeah, at, there's at no response. Point. Yeah. So Especially it is when you're looking at a camera because, you know, Somehow someone's going to be looking at you, but they're not giving any like human human response. There's no body language, faces, eyes, anything. It's just the blank stare of the glass. Yeah, I think that, I think that's a good lead into what my next question was going to be. Uh, you know, I want to talk about how exhausting of a feeling it can be producing an independent show, and <laughs> and and how tiring it can be to build an audience. You know, and. Yeah. Uh, 
I've been very fortunate with the Spent the Rep podcast that I've been able to do something that I I envisioned, but I didn't know how I was going to make it happen. And I felt like I feel like I'm building a community with it. You know, there's a mm-hmm. lot of people that have networked through meeting in different ways through the podcast, and and I knew early on. I, I'm answering my own damn question here, but I knew I knew that I knew that early on. I don't remember this happened a lot in our other yeah. interviews. <laughs> no, I knew that early on it was it was going to be something that my guests were going to become the audience, you know, so uh-huh. that so that people that came on. So what is what are some ways that that you think are, <laughs> you know, are are some examples of things that are so exhausting about producing independent shows? Well, you, when you try to do it every week, it means you never get a break, and there's always preparation you have to do. Um, sometimes you try to wing it more, but then it doesn't come off as well. So you need to do some preparation and think about what you're going to say or what kind of topics you're going to cover. And I find it especially challenging, as I said, to video myself because I'll flub up a lot and then I have to do more editing or re-tape it. Uh, So just keeping at the grind week after week. It's not that I lack ideas for subjects to talk about. It's more just putting it together, getting it done, getting it out there. It feels like uh, putting unnecessary pressure on myself uh, when I don't really want or need more pressure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, who does? Totally. And, and, you know, for me, I try to keep it organic, you know, with the podcast. Mm -hmm. So I I just record the interviews and then the, the flubbing up, like you said, when it's just you and a camera, you're more apt to be like, well, I can fix that, you know, but when you have a conversation, let's try that again. Yeah. (laughs) And it's just easy and you can spend the entire day doing that. Well, you're smart doing interviews. I've found in the past that doing interviews is a lot easier because you got somebody to bounce off of right. and you don't have to do all the talking. Yeah. And it's time. I mean, it's difficult though. It's also more interesting for the listener. Sure. It's difficult though, keeping up a schedule, you know, and I've been really, yeah. I've been really lucky and fortunate and feel honored that people have been pretty consistent. I think in the four years that I've done the podcast, I've canceled on people more than I've been canceled on, you know, and, <laughs> and it's not canceled necessarily. There's been, like you said, the isolation in co- with COVID, I had to, I had to do a couple times where I had to be like, I can't do it. I can't do it right now. My mental health is struggling. Mm-hmm. You know, I have to, I have to step away from it. But also the flip side of that is, is that I don't know what I would have done without the podcast during that shutdown, because I went yeah. from doing a weekly episode to doing it pretty much every other day. Oh, that's and too much. When it was a lot of fun because it was there was so much to talk about. You know, I, oh. I was talking to business owners. I was talking yeah. to healthcare workers. I was talking to uh, just anything related to the effects of COVID shutdowns, mm-hmm. musicians, artists that were not able to be, you know, public comedians, all kinds of stuff. You yeah. Know? And it was never ending loop of, oh, no, this is crazy. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> so. uh now, a political show, obviously, the the little bit that I've known you over the last few years, a couple of years, uh, it's obvious that you're passionate about politics and like you had said, whatever that truly means. <laughs> but what has, <laughs> let's talk about what has brought us both to our political views. Uh, you start, I want to talk about how it is that you came to your political views of, like you had said, a quote, self-proclaimed uh, socialist libertarian. Well, it gets, it gets to be a pretty long story because I'm getting to be kind of old. Um, I would say in, in two ways. It, overtly, it started because I was in my late teens during the Vietnam War and uh, had the draft hanging over my head. So I had to pay attention to that. As, it got, as I got closer to 18 and had registered for the draft, 
um, it was really what kind of decision you're going to make if they if they want to draft you. And the feeling of the government having control of my life like that, that they could actually yank me out of my home and send me to some far off place to do things they really didn't think were number one, things that I didn't want to do. And number two, things that I didn't believe were making a positive difference in the world. I, by that time, everybody, I think most everybody knew that the war didn't make sense. It's a lot like our um, Afghanistan so-called adventure there, or, or what would you call it, a debacle or a debacle? Uh, it goes on and on, even though people know we're not getting anywhere. We're not, we're not winning a war. We're not improving their lives. So it's got to come to an end sometime. Are you going to be the last guy to give your life for a losing battle? Yeah. Well, so anyway, that's how I got started. Um, and that's, that's why I have this libertarian streak, number one, because the feeling that government can do whatever they want to you, they have the power to do that if they choose to use it. And they don't always use that power well. I mean, they're human beings, they're fallible, and sometimes they're, they can be um, make decisions for the wrong reasons and even be aware of it, just like I suppose lots of people do. Most of us at some time do things for the wrong reasons. But the other thing was growing up in a household that wasn't rich and wasn't poor, but my father hated his job. And that made me think about economics and how the world worked and why were people unhappy and how... Why, why did things work the way they do? Um, and as I got older, the interest in the economy was deepened when we went through all these economic problems in the 1970s. You know, people often talk about how the 50s and 60s were so good for a lot of people because, you know, wages were going up and it was easy to buy things. You could buy a house on a single income and all this. But in the 70s, that all changed. You had really skyrocketing inflation and lines at the gas stations and uh, it just opened my eyes to how fragile our whole system was. And so it directed me toward, well, how does the economy work and what does politics have to do with it? And from that point, you know, there's a continual interest. It, it uh, when it started to escalate again, for, for reasons I'm not gonna dive into right now, this story will take up more than the hour we wanna talk. Uh, but I went into uh, graduate school in political science to learn more about how things worked and what I could do about it. And after that, had no job prospects other than a political scientist. So I did that for about 10 years and taught and thought about it more. And then I, then I got itchy to, okay, you, you don't have much time to do something about politics. So I got out of that and started in trying to do something and really started with the ranked choice voting stuff yeah. in about 2004. Um, and, I, you know, I want to say, I mean, the when I've observed your work and read about, you know, your career in different ways, I don't think it's that you didn't, it, it's it's that you couldn't find your lane in the mainstream area because you, you have great ideas. There's so many people <laughs> with great ideas, but this two-party system of basically it's like two, you know, it's like a snake with two heads kind of thing. It's so ridiculous and so many people are so tired of it. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, you ran for for secretary of state in Oregon for the Green Party, but we talked about that before. It's like there's almost this feeling of like, well, I know it's not going to really go anywhere. You know, you know, when you run for these yeah. third, we talked about that at length, and I really encourage anyone listening to go back and check out that episode I did with you where we talked about third parties and why that not being viable, you know, death grip mm -hmm. that the two parties have over the the third parties. Is so frustrating, you know, because there's people that I think would a lot of people would relate to. And so I don't know. Yeah, I, more, I, more. 
I've, I've seen that in my lifetime over the decades is that more and more people dropping out of the Republican and Democratic parties, not just not registered. The voters, the yeah, yeah. There's a boatload of so-called independents or not affiliated voters, but also people who actually do vote consistently for those parties or register with them. would still not, they like to have a different choice. They're not happy with them. Yeah. And I mean, now we see ourselves so divided because, you know, this, this segues into to what I want to, oh, let me actually talk about a little bit about, you know, we, we, I wrote you, you had told me this question. We wanted to talk about it. What had brought us to our political views. And I'll, I'll oh, yeah. kind of explain on why I got to mine, yeah, you please. know, is that, is that, you know, I was raised in an interesting home where my mother was a lesbian, single mom. And then my every other weekend dad was remarried. And I don't want to bash him by saying this. Cause I think that he, he has a lot of strengths. But my dad divorced, my, my parents were divorced and my dad wanted to just kind of act like it didn't happen and, and recreate the perfect, you know, picket fence family home and then just kind of act like it didn't happen. And I almost feel like it was convenient for him because he didn't have to be a dad all the time, mm. you know. And so he was very conservative because his attitude was if you work hard, that good things will happen for you. And my mom had a work ethic, but she also had empathy and and a lot of different things that were would get in the way because she would break down you know you know where she was like having mental breakdowns and so you know trying to find her way as a single mom in the 80s now my dad always helped always paid child support that was never even something they had to fight about in court he always stepped up and helped her and helped her above what would legally be expected but in a lot of ways he still that i could talk for days point is is that my mom wasn't very political but what she taught me was about kindness about learning each individual's soul and spirit and and finding what is good in everyone because every single person even the worst murderous criminal is a human being that inside has a story you know mm -hmm. and that's what she taught me she said no matter what anyone says does anything there's still a person that is has an ability for redemption and is special you know and that's the way you should look at everyone my father just focused on the things he could control, you know? And so I was, I've always kind of been like, wow, I need to find, <laughs> I need to find my middle ground in that. And I'm mm -hmm. grateful for the political aspect that my dad is conservative still to this day, because I, I, I've had to think about pleasing my father because he's my father and keeping him happy was, was one of my main goals as a kid. And so I've had to navigate how to deal with that. And at this point in my life, I just have, we just have to not talk about it because he, you know, because he's never ever tried to consider what anyone else's reality is because that challenges him too much, yeah. you, know, you know, and it gets in the way. That's unfortunate, as, but it's good for you because it gives you insight into how other people think. Right. And so as far as my views, I don't even know how I, it, it really came to be. I mean, as far as being a Democrat, uh, my mom was a lesbian. It was, it's that simple. If they're going it, to, it's, it's really that simple. If you're going to say, and so as far as one issue voting, I, I, marriage equality was number one to me from about mm -hmm. the age of 10 or 11 years old. When my mom came out that she was a lesbian and I, I basically was like, well, that's not even an option. If somebody's going to say that she's not the same and shouldn't afford this, the, the same rights, then I'm not going to have that conversation with them because mm -hmm. that's not about freedom. Then we started thinking about, you know, there was a time when we were on food stamps and I saw how it, it benefited us to use it as a bridge, not something that she was trying to monopolize on. My mom got food stamps, went to college with some help from, you know, I, I'm not exactly her, how, sure how she funded college, to be honest with you. I was too young. 
But in those days, it was cheaper. So she probably paid for some of it, probably got some state help. But the fact is that there was assistance where she was able to go to college, get a master's degree, get a career, work for the state, build up 19 years that she worked for senior and disabled services using her, her love of people and whatnot as a, you know, something to motivate her to get up every day and help people. And I saw mm-hmm. the government actually somewhat work for people, you know, yeah. that in the way that she would talk to me that it's like, yeah, there's issues and you got to jump through hoops. And now my partner today, she's a data analyst for the County. And she explains to me constantly about different issues, but also about how it's working about ways that they're, she loves what she does. And when people talk about government, like this big mean thing it's like government is your local you know people there's people in your community it's not just the federal government the local government the county the state and all that stuff there's a lot of people like my partner and my mother that loved what they did you know yeah. love what they do and i don't want to get all, all too too so i don't know it's just interesting now my father i have respect for and I've been able to navigate conversations with people with more of a conservative mindset because I actually respect it to an extent because I do think that they're not wrong, that hard work can, can bring you good things, but I think it's short-sighted to think that's everything, <laughs> you know, uh, and, and it's not a guaranteed path. No, you know, and, you know, and that's the truth be told for him. You're going to have a better chance if you work hard at something than if you don't, but still the chances are it's not, not guaranteed. Well, and he works in printing. And so when you work in printing and it's 2021. Oh, big change. Yeah. And so, you know, navigating that and obviously it's easy to blame that the fact that no one uses paper anymore to you can blame mm-hmm. it on Obama all you want. But Obama didn't create the Internet. That was Al Gore. So, you know, there was one, one part of your, your what you said about your past was particularly interesting to me, how you learn values like kindness. And it. it led me to thinking about how, you know, I was raised in a religious household, not, I, I don't mean by that, like a real deep into it, but it's kind of taken for granted thing in our lives. And we have this example of Jesus loving the least of us. And that, that had an effect on me. And in fact, for after, after I had left my home church as a teenager, I came back to it in adulthood for a long time. And that that's really big part of how I became uh, interest in social justice because saw more and more of those themes in the Bible, which apparently is a different Bible than some conservatives are reading, but well, it, I, it led me more in that direction. And I had the same experience. You know, I was raised Lutheran, which I always joke is diet Catholic. And so, <laughs> and so, and I had the same Less experience. Calories. Yeah. And my dad, you know, I might talk about his political views about work and economics, like you were talking about before, but he taught me about kindness and respect and treating, treating, I mean, I don't want to be, I know it's the, the world has changed, but the way I was raised was to treat women with respect, you know, like, it, like when, when your partner, he's a Christian man. So he has this one lane attitude, but that being said, he instilled that in me that you do not degrade women and you do not hurt children. And you, you know, you, these kind of things that you tell the truth and that your word is bond. That was something mm-hmm. that was really important to him as well, that your word is, is everything. And I think as we navigate today's world, it's a little bit different. I'm not saying that you, you absolutely, absolutely do not need, this is what makes you a man. And you also don't need God in your life in order to have morals. <laughs> those two things are, that's a fact. Oh. That being said, those messages were so positive. And I think it's very true what you're saying about, about uh, 
you know, reading the Bible and actually seeing social justice in it. Like, I think that Jesus was a socialist, <laughs> you know? So, so no, I, mean, I, I think I, I want that to be clear when I talk about my father, that, that it was, he's somebody also that taught me kindness. My mom taught me more empathy. My father taught me morals, you know, in a lot well, of I ways. I think most people really want to do what's good for other people. They just have very different ideas about what that might be. And as you said of your sister, there's different views of the government. Her is is cousin, it largely yeah. a force for the good, large, not at all force for the good, or is it a mixed bag, or what is it? People have very different views. And, of course, it's an, impossible to prove one way or the other is the government more do, do more good in the world than evil because how do you how do you assess all that? How do you assess everything the government is doing, the government? We have a number of governments in our country. How, how do you assess everything the government is doing let alone decide which are good, which are bad, which are neutral, which are somewhat this way, somewhat that way. I mean, nobody really has a way to assess that. So it's like a pre-existing mindset as to how you feel about the government that's going to color a lot of your views. Do you think that it's possible to have limited government and police? Like like libertarianism and this conservative mm -hmm. attitude, they, they're pro-police. They're always like, you know, blue lives matter, whatever the hell that means. Or the thin Libertarians. blue. And yeah, but they still want police, you know, because who gets to decide those laws? That's what government's job is supposed to be, is create the yeah. legislature. Well, most libertarians are more um, pro-capitalism. So they just, it's doggy dog and the guns will win, basically. Well, the big thing is you got to have a police force to enforce property rights in capitalism. Yeah. That's the main function, really. And people say, yeah, you, you need police or someone's going to come and kill you. Well, if you, you're dead, usually they come and investigate it. Who did it and get them in jail or something? But they're not going to stop them from killing you. But if they take your property, you can try to get your property back. So what most people rely on for the police is somebody stole something. Yeah. You know, get it back. Do something about it. Protect my property. Yeah, I don't know if it's much prevention other than locking the person up so that they don't do it What's to the, the next threat? person. Yeah, I don't know. That, I don't want to get off the point too much, but yeah. Uh, well, as to your question, I think I can imagine an ideal world where you don't need police, and I would sure hope to move toward that. In general, it's, it's the principle of let's do things with at, at the minimal of coercion and violence. The minimal. We don't know what that is yet, but it's less than what we're using now. I just think that it's always when I when I hear whatever you want to call it, conservative, libertarian, where the like, government needs to stay out of my life. I don't want to be told what to do. I know that if the tables were turned and they were given power, they would love telling people what to do. <laughs> and so it's like, so it's well, like, sure. you know, and so it's not it's not they're not doing it for the greater good. They're doing it for the, you know, the benefit of themselves in most cases. <laughs> Maybe. So, OK, so I think then again, they probably most of them anyway, have good intentions. They just have different views. Yeah, and that's, that's what true. We There's a difference in strategy. And that's something I, I say that a lot. I say something to the effect of it's OK if we debate on strategy. You know, we can't demonize. This is a good segue into my next part. And we, we, should, we need to stop demonizing people who, who we disagree with on strategy, oh, yeah. on strategy, you know, because politics, a lot of what it is to me is a, it's a it's a belief in a certain system or strategy. It's like you believe that maybe if you tax the wealthy who is literally making money off of all of us, like, for example, I'm, I'm a believer, at least my ears perk up when I start hearing about Andrew Yang talking about on a federal level, it would not work on a state level because they have to balance the budget. But when they talk about, uh, you know, 
what is it called? Oh my gosh, I'm running a blank. We're basically basic income. Yeah, universal basic income, UBI. That I like the idea. The reason he said or the way that he said he could fund it is on how Google or uh, all these different organizations, Google, uh, Amazon, Facebook, whoever, sell your information over and over and over again. You don't even see it. You know what I mean? You don't even see the transaction. Mm -hmm. And there's a minuscule tax on all of those transactions. And it, and it's basically, it's like you were talking about our property being stolen. Now we agree to these, <laughs> to these arrangements, but we don't even realize sometimes what we're agreeing to, but you have to use the service, especially with Facebook. Like all of us want to quit Facebook. Every one of us wants to quit it, but it's like that. <laughs> it's like that abusive partner that is like, if you won't be able to find anyone better than me, <laughs> you know? And so, and, and it's just such, it's become such a huge part of our, our world. Well, I mean, you got to learn to live by yourself then. Well, and for me and Facebook, you, I'm very tempted. The work that we do with, with sure it's a hobby or whatnot, but these podcasts, it's like, how would you advertise it without using Facebook? It would be really difficult, you know, at yeah, least to, to yeah, get it off the ground. Main, really right now, this main reason I still have a Facebook account is so that I can let people know when I have an episode coming out, because otherwise I'm getting pretty tired of it. Yeah. And well, I, let me go back to what you were saying sure. for a minute about, um, uh, the universal basic income, because it's one level of conversation to talk about, well, is it possible to fund something like this? Is it, how would we do that? The practical questions of implementation. But for me, deep politics goes to questions that people have, like, won't people just be lazy if they get a basic income? And that goes to human nature questions. What do you think about people? You know, do they have this inner urge to do something, contribute good to the world, so th and that's why they want to work, have a role? Or are they just tempted to sit around and do nothing? What do you really think about other human beings? That's a deeper question, a harder one to ask. But I think people have to bring forth those assumptions to have a productive conversation with somebody else. Otherwise, they're just talking past each other. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I, I'd like to think that people would create art and that kind of stuff. And, you know, <laughs> but the reality is, is the best art comes from being shit on and pain, too. So, so, so unfortunately, <laughs> or, or having, having to pay the rent. Right? I know That's you, name, I know you came, podcast. you came from Detroit, you know, yeah. and so Detroit uh, has a, a, ri a, you know, rising art and music scene and has for decades, but because of the pain and misery that that place has gone through. I mean, it's, it's, it's just the way that it is. Music. Yeah. So, you know, good art comes from, from misery. That's just the reality. <laughs> so, uh, you know, well, I was, I got so off track. Yeah. I was talking about how we need to find ways to stop demonizing each other so that, yeah. you know, we can talk about strategy and it's interesting because some of these so-called libertarians that I keep alluding to have talked about, you know, Andrew Yang, he's all, he's interesting. Bernie Sanders back in 2016. Oh, they're like, I kind of like Bernie. I don't know if it was because they didn't think that he was going to win. You know, but I think that there's truth to the fact that there is more socialist libertarians than lead on. And and how do we how do we deal in a world where people see us, you know, as a one dimensional thinker where it's like by, you're a socialist by labels, by labels yeah. you know, and that's why I think it's really cool that you've labeled yourself something on both extremes. <laughs> you know, you know, I'm a <laughs> part, part of the reason I like the word is because it forces people to think, well, how the heck do you put those together? A socialist libertarian. And I think it's very true. I think that that exists. And I think that I'm one of them. Uh, <laughs> so I want to I know I want to move around a little bit, but I, I want to talk about uh, what's coming up on the 18th. September 18th, there's going to be a, a pro Trump rally uh, hosted by white supremacy. <laughs> and uh, it's in the it's basically at the Capitol. 
I've been hearing and reading about stuff about there's going to be a protest in defense of, quote, political prisoners that are being tried for the insurrection on January 6th. So they're putting up fences around the Capitol. This is really interesting to me because, you know, we're seeing an attempt at the overthrow of our country, of our democracy. And it's such a, a, a setup because they're setting this up so that if they're taken down, they can cry foul. You know, mm-hmm. so the so the fence is being put around it as already they're like, look, they're taking away your freedom. But it's like, dude, you guys are doing something that is beyond the pale. So what do you think that these things I mean, can th- this can't continue? What do you I mean, have you been reading well, about this? Well, I'm aware of it. I've seen headlines about it, but I haven't looked into it deeply. Uh, really, I think the the media is to a large extent to blame for elevating these kind of fringe figures. They wouldn't if they didn't get so much airtime. They people wouldn't pay that much attention to them. I mean, imagine if there was no news stories about it and they held that rally. It would amount to nothing. Yeah. So the, the news media is there in hope of some kind of confrontation or some, you know, some something that'll help raise the temperatures of people watching. They they want to get people riled up. That's the way media operates now, and they're at fault more than any other institution in my mind because of how they, you saw it in Trump too. They elevated Trump where he didn't really deserve that kind of um, additional airtime opposed to the other candidates. But when Trump, when, TV. you know, on January 6th, Donald Trump was the president of the United States. And so when Apparently he's, he still is, according to some people. Well, yeah. And he's going to be t- tomorrow. But like uh, uh, when he's the president and he's holding a rally, is that not something that should be covered? Well, he, he, there wasn't just a rally going on. There was going to be another rally at the Capitol, and they had intelligence that that was going to result in people trying to break in and stop the Congress from doing its lawful duty. So Trump facilitated that. Yeah. Now, yeah, that's news, but if they hadn't spent all this time building it up to the point where he's able to become president, he wouldn't have been news yeah. because it wouldn't, he wouldn't have been president. He'd be just another speaker at a rally. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Donald Trump, he's always— Looking for the limelight. He's it's been just doing so that tough. my whole life. It's just so tough because, because you know, I watched the empty podiums in 2016 for, you know, when it's, oh, he's about to speak and he's about to come on, say something shitty, you know, you know, but it, it it's, it was WWE. I mean, it was literally wrestling, but like <laughs> at this point we're past that. I mean, and that's true, but we're in a, we're in a position now. It's like, we can't look at it like, well, we shouldn't have allowed it to happen in the first place. Let's just ignore it. You know what I mean? Because it's. I think you can do that with this upcoming rally that you're mentioning with Marjorie Taylor Greene. She doesn't deserve that kind of attention. From what I've read, Marjorie Taylor Greene actually is not going to be participating, which says. Oh, yeah, she backed out. Yeah, which says something because she's like, ooh, I don't even want to touch it. But what she did do, and I didn't I didn't follow up on this. She posted a picture with her with a gun and a scope. And it says my next move will, quote, trigger the liberals, (laughs) which. Which is hilarious because my goal is not just to piss off conservatives. I'll tell you right now. I'm I'm here to have conversations. To no, think it's of, not mine either because not, they're human beings. Exactly. And I, regardless of how much they hate me, I do care about them because they're people. It may not help anything, but I really truly mean that. I don't want to just see them miserable. You know, I mean, I guess if you're miserable, if two people of the same sex are married, then so be it. I, there's nothing I can do to change that. You well, know, it doesn't angry. affect you. People are angry about a lot of things, and then they project it onto the outside world as taking away what they value. Right. So like with the with the gay marriage and all that, it's not so much about the gay marriage. It's more about I'm 
unhappy, I, I'm afraid, or something about the world changing. And this is an example of how it's changed for them. Like, this never used to be in the newspapers and on TV that gay people were together. Right. I mean, you knew they were, unless you didn't think about it at all. But now that it's more open, it scares them. What's next? Yeah, but as it so, should so be. there's as a lot it, of fear behind that. As it should be, because not only does representation matter, because there's a lot more people in this world than than one type of individual. I mean, America, to me, it's like if you close your eyes and you're like, picture what an American looks like. If you only see one person, you're wrong. You know, You know, like that's the way I look at it. Because, and that really goes for pretty much everywhere. You know, I mean, there's individuals that are just being silenced and ignored. They still exist and they matter. Mm-hmm. And if, the, if, you're, if your whole platform, not you, but if, any, if anybody's platform is based on, I don't want other people to be allowed to do this, uh-huh. that's a problem. Like if, if your pro- platform is protecting your rights, we can have that conversation. You know, that goes back to where I started this, the mandates, the, the vaccine right. mandates. I have a hard time with that. Because Does your father watch your show? No, my dad, no. Because it sounds like you're talking to him a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's probably a good assessment, that, that uh, psychology. <laughs> yeah. It's like you're trying to argue with a conservative, and yeah. you got the wrong guy on your show. Well, that's fact. That's fact. <laughs> it's just frustration. No, it's frustration. It's frustration, you know, because yeah. because this this is something that I'm, I worry, and I, I just don't know what we can do about it. Let's talk about something that collectively as an American, as Americans that we're stuck in this together, and that's September 11th. It's two, yeah. 20, 20 years later. You know, in Afghanistan, we can point the blame on Biden for pulling out. We can point the blame on Bush for getting us in, for putting it in, pulling it out, putting it in, whatever. Ooh. Uh, so now <laughs> I have a whole different image. Yeah, different image. No, no. But, 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 you know, I mean, I think that it's been shown that we had Bush, Obama, Trump, Biden. They they pretty much it's it's the military industrial complex, you know, doing this, doing the bidding. I mean, Trump was pulling was going to pull out of Afghanistan. He was mm-hmm. he, he laid down the foundation and Biden went through with it. And I'm, I'm pretty critical of the way that it's been done. Did anything in the exit make us more vulnerable when it comes to terror? And do you think that we were actually even there for any reason to fight terror? If <laughs> <laughs> we're there for any reason, uh, we're all. It reminds me so much of Vietnam, and a lot of people from my generation are immediately going to think of the parallels. But a lot of it is presidents trying to save face, which is a real, um, what's the word that goes beyond shame? It's almost criminal that they would send other people to fight battles and, and risk death and serious injury, and as well as killing other people in that country, because they know they can't win. They can't achieve their goals, but they don't want to be the one who pulled it out. Now, I at least give Biden the credit for being the one willing to say it's time to stop because this is not going anywhere. He didn't do it very smoothly. You know, Richard Nixon was able to do it a lot to his advantage, even though he was, you know, had prolonged it a lot longer and a lot of people died than in, in any sense necessary or even in the sense that he could have believed it was going to get, come to a different outcome. Uh, now, here I am living in the past talking about Richard Nixon. <laughs> but it reminds me so much of that. This Presidents try to save face because power is built on image, right? Yeah. And if, if the thinking is that the image America is one that cuts and runs, well, first thing, they're going to come down there and bomb you for 20 years before they decide they made a mistake. So are you going to be willing to risk that? And people don't attack the United States. What, when's the last time that happened? I can't even remember what's last I mean, time I guess people attacked I guess, Americans. I guess September 11th. 
September 11th. Yeah. And why did they attack us? It wasn't because they hated our freedom, as was often said. It was because we were over there already causing problems in the part of the world they live in. So they interpreted that as this is a way to hit back at the superpower that's been messing with our lives all this time. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not trying to justify what they did. No, 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 no. I'm trying to point a finger at us and say, let's look at our own role in creating these kind of situations. So does Afghanistan pull out equal a, a less safe world? Well, it's really hard to judge because it's so unsafe now because of past actions of the United States that, well, now I'm going to be, people are going to see me as a blame America kind of guy, but I get angry about that kind of stuff. It's part of my personal history to have that feeling about wars and the military and have paid a lot of attention to how we get into these things. I think people have been fed a lot of lies and they're just not paying attention if they think America is purely a benevolent force in the world. Oh yeah. The American exceptionalism is a lie. There's no two ways about it. You know, and I wanted to talk earlier, and I, I'm getting off the point a little, but you had mentioned Vietnam. What was the point? <laughs> well, yeah. Vietnam, you had talked about that again. I don't know if yeah. people my generation understand when it when it comes to the feeling of, oh, and I'm going to get hate for this, I'm sure, because maybe I'm overseeing something, but I personally do I'm not. I'm starting to I'll, hate you already. Right. No, I, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't see, I don't see something personally that, and I, I, I mean this with like a ton of respect. I really do. Because I don't know, you had talked about how Vietnam, you, it showed you that the government can do whatever they want with you if they choose mm-hmm. to, you know? And I don't know, I mean, I guess I've been very fortunate that I've never experienced that feeling. Like, I really don't know. And I'm not saying, oh, I don't, I don't get it. That's not what I mean. I'm just like, wow, that's really heavy to me. Yeah. And I know that the people, you know, I'm a millennial or Gen X or Xennial, whatever the hell it is. I don't know, you know, in the 90s, we were bitching, li- making punk rock music, but in hindsight, it's like, oh my God, we had it so damn good, you know, <laughs> and pre 9-11, you know, and I've learned from from people I admire like yourself talking about stuff like this, where I don't know if I've ever had that feeling of like, I, mm-hmm. you know, we listened to the music that was created out of out of Vietnam 20 years later, you know what I'm saying? I was I was learning about the the art from the arts of it, but I don't know if I ever had that feeling and that's something that you know, I'd be interested to hear what, what people think are examples of, of how, you know, like I had talked about marriage equality. I would imagine that there's an area where it's mm-hmm. like the government, they're not taking you and putting you into a war, but they're not allowing you to, well, to take a lot of people and put them in jail. Right. And then, and then, you know, abortion, we're seeing that where for women, well, and you know, yeah, there's, <laughs> there's a lot of talk right now about how it's not just women that can have abortions, but that's a different conversation for a different day. Mm-hmm. But but the fact that you're forced to do something with your health care, that's a that's a pretty that's a pretty questionable thing if the mm-hmm. government's instilling that kind of stuff. Well, well talk to black people and they can yeah. tell you about the government forcing you to do things. Yeah. You know, that they could do whatever they want with you and people won't even believe you. Right. I right. mean their position to me was a lot worse than the position I was in. Yeah. That's a good point. And that's I mean, that's exactly the example because because the reality is is that, you know, a punishment for a crime that was created, you know, maybe imbalanced if it's done to certain people, you know, it's like with, with drug crimes, there's a disproportionate amount of black people that have been sent to prison for it, for the same kind of thing that white people have done. And yeah, that's a good example. I don't, I, you know, it's just, it's heavy when I hear you say that when I hear, and I, 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 there's a lot to that, you know, about how. I don't want people to think I'm exaggerating, but it was traumatic for me at that age to have that feeling. Yeah. And part of it was because at at times in my life, my father uh, did beat me. 
And so there's that same sense of reliving the sense that some, but something more powerful than you has your life in their hands. Now, I don't want people to think my father was somehow threatening my life. It was more the common thing in that generation. No, exactly. Totally. For fathers to use corporal punishment. But it affects kids, I think. It affects them by making, giving them some trauma, some degree of trauma. And trauma always results in some type of um, lingering effects of fearfulness or um, distrust of people or or wanting to strike back. And that's, that's hard to get through. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that for one, because I think that you have chosen empathy, you know, that that's from, from what I've known of you, you've chosen to use those experiences to fight. I don't know how much of a choice. Yeah. There were choices along the way, but my mother was very different. I think from my mother, I got a lot of the other side, really empathy for people, kindness towards people, caring for people, uh, she wasn't a saint. <laughs> well, I would call her a saint, but to the outside world, it doesn't look saintly. But she gave me that side. She was she listened to me. That I guess that was the biggest thing. Well, even into my teen years, when a lot of people don't want to talk to their parents, I could sit and tell her some of the things I was thinking about, some of the problems I was having, and she listened. She didn't try to give advice. She didn't try to, you know, blame it on me when I was having a problem, even if it was my fault, which it often is. <laughs> uh, she just listened. So that side of me, plus the sense of humor gets you through a lot. Yeah. And that was her. She had a sense of humor. That's a fact. That's a defense mechanism of mine is my sense of humor for sure. You know, I, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of parallels with, like you said, corporal punishment, that trauma, that the way, you know, parenting, government, that kind of stuff. It's, it's, you know, the terms like the nanny state, all that stuff. It's, you don't want it to be controlling everything about your life. Now, that being said, we live in a great big society with a lot of issues. And I don't know. I just, I want to start with healthcare. Everyone needs healthcare. That would fix a lot of problems. Yeah, well, I agree with you. <laughs> so, Maybe we should find something we disagree about. So we can sure. start. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I just think September 11th passing 20 years later, you look at it like, what the heck was that all for? You know, and it's frustrating, but I don't think it's that simple. I think, you know, I've talked to a few uh, enlisted men as a barber. A lot of my clientele is, is current and past soldiers, you know, of, of these wars in, in Iraq and Afghanistan. I know those are completely different issues, but unfortunately, there's this conversation like, do we need to be there? You know, because of the facts like you had talked about. It's about what got us there, but now that we're, you know, we're there. It's like, can we leave and and be safe? You know, and I know I'm I'm transitioning. We're running out of time here, so I wanted to cover this, but yeah, I had no, I had no sense of how much time had gone by. Yeah, we're we're getting close. So I don't know. I don't. There's no real question there. It's just it's just really it's frustrating, and there's so much of that right now. Just so much frustration where we're like, sometimes we even know the answers, but we know it's not going to happen. <laughs> you know, that's the most frustrating <laughs> thing about government. Where we're like, I know what the solution would be, or I know a good idea, but y'all ain't willing to try it. So, yeah, this goes back to the idea of deep politics. Is you know, when once you get involved in politics and find out how difficult it is to get things done, then you start asking more questions, like why is that, and how can we change that? And it just is almost like an endless uncovering process, so you can get a deeper understanding of what's happening. Yeah. Just like with the war in Afghanistan, it's not just about that particular war. It's about how governments function and the use of violence and roles in the world and how people feel about uh, using 
punishment rather than inducements? Like, what if we had poured the billions of dollars we poured into that war into actually raising the standard of living in the in the people of that country? Whole different outcome. So, how do we feel about what how we treat other people? Yeah. Yeah, and I just watched a movie. I can't remember the name, but it was Jodie Foster was an attorney that was defending a guy that was at Guantanamo Bay, and it just, it just, oh yeah, sounds familiar. It yeah. just becomes this. It just becomes yeah, it's new, and it just becomes. And he was wrongfully, he was never charged, and he was there for you know ten years, or whatever it was, tortured and never charged. I mean, and then it, you had talked about this vicious cycle. So I guess what we can do today is we need to just stop it. We need to stop that kind of stuff because if we're doing that, all it's doing is breeding terror. <laughs> you know, it's breeding it because it's literally allowing people to have. Yeah, it's just that's the frustration. Like because well, how I, do we how do we stop it? Uh, to me, it starts with conversations. You know, we have to have conversations, especially with people who don't think exactly the same as we do or have different experiences. Find out what makes them tick. And that's why I started my podcast, because I didn't want it just to be one way me talking, but I also wanted to get feedback. What were other people thinking? How did they react to what I say? And why I welcome this opportunity to talk with you, not, not only this time, but other times, because I think it's important to hear other people's stories. How do they come to where they are? What are they thinking? You know, are, are, When I say something, are they able to hear it, or do they hear it differently than I intended it? We need practice in those skills. We need a lot of practice in those skills, because our country has... Um, a deficit of the ability to communicate. Yeah, that's that's a fact. That's a fact. Well, Alan Zundell, I could <laughs> talk to you for hours. Uh, it's really cool to get to chat with you. It always is. I really want to encourage anyone listening to check out your book, like I had talked about before, The History of the Green Party of the, of the United States. It's available on Amazon, and uh, it was really cool. I, I definitely enjoyed it and learned a lot. And it really tells more of a story about... Uh, more than just what the Green Party is, there's there's so much there. I think it's really important for people to check out. Also, your po your podcast, uh, Alan on Politics, is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all that good stuff. Definitely, everyone listening, check it out because there's a lot that could be could be learned from it. And I think you know you have a wealth of knowledge on this kind of stuff, and you've got quite of you know long history of experience uh, discussing it and, and analyzing it and all that kind of stuff. And so there's a lot, yes. there. there's a uh, lot there. It may not be around for long, so you better take advantage of that. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that could be true for all of us. I had a scary yeah, moment. These days, I had a, so. Yeah. I had a scary moment. Oh, a couple of weeks back, we were talking about climate change and one of my customers is a, is a uh, client scientist. And he was telling me, he's like, Oh, Patrick, just nonchalantly. He's like, yep. 60 years. That's what I figured human life, human kinds have left. H p the human uh, race has left about 60 years. And he's like, mm -hmm. it's not like we're going to wake up one day and it's going to be bad. It's going to get progressively worse. And then it's going to be 140 degrees outside. I'm like, wonderful. Well, talk about client uh, climate denialism. I think we're all in, to some degree in a state of denial. Yeah. We're still going on with our lives because we cannot comprehend how, how, how that could happen. We, we can't, even though it's happening and we're seeing it, we can't assimilate that knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, Alan Zundel, I appreciate you. Uh, I'm going to end this with a song off my new album. It's this song is about how people look at each other and if there's a simple look and it's just about how we just don't trust each other and we look at each other and we think mm -hmm. we know, or, and we don't like you were talking about, we don't actually know if we're heard from completely or if we're just kind of spitting into the wind. 
<laughs> and so, I don't know. It's kind of loose. I thought it might fit the topic a little bit. I do really appreciate you sharing your personal story, especially some of the stuff that you shared, Alan, about uh, your childhood and, and your relationship with your parents. I think that's really cool. Uh, and maybe, you know, I want to do... Well, thank you for sharing, too, because yeah. that's braver of you. My parents aren't around anymore, too. <laughs> you know yeah, I'm well, saying? my dad, uh, my mom's not around, and my dad doesn't listen to my show. So, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> so, no, I mean, I don't know. Maybe he does. And I, I hope I don't start to get too big. Maybe he'll start listening to past episodes. And yeah, then... maybe my parents are listening somewhere else that I haven't visited yet. That's another whole conversation altogether. No, I want to, at some point, I want to do some episodes about mental health. And I think it's something that, huh. that uh, I want to have conversations with just i want to do i want to do a series on men's mental health i know that there's a lot of people that we all need to be talked to but men's mental health is something that i'm really passionate about yeah that'd be interesting and i want to have a lot of different kinds of voices so i'll i'll talk to you about that off air and we we can get something like that going i want to do a panel discussion about it you know so so there's some mm -hmm. cool ideas coming up for the podcast but i want to thank everybody for listening today alan zundell you're you're amazing you're somebody that i really i get a kick out of your social media posts uh and your sense of humor and whatnot. So, but I got to get out of here because we're running out of time. So yeah. I'm going to end this with a song. This is me, Patty Rose, with the song, The Look. Points that I want to make. The look on your face makes it seem like you're angry. You're angry, you're angry, you're angry. All I ever did was nothing you wanted. You wanted, you wanted, you wanted. I kept to myself. I always was hidden, was hidden, was hidden, was hidden. Locked in my room, a convo forbidden, forbidden, forbidden. The look on your face makes it seem like you're scared of me, you're scared of me. The human race is embarrassing, embarrassing. The reason we got Nothing that we cannot accomplish. <laughs>